Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Connected Family Podcast, episode number 44. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois, that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei, and I'm your host. Today's episode, I'm interviewing Pat and Tammy McLeod, authors of the book Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was, and learning to live well with what is. Pat and Tammy McLeod serve as Harvard Harvard chaplains for Crew, an interdenominational Christian ministry. Tammy is also the director of college ministry at Park Street Church in Boston. She received her MA in spiritual formation from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Pat holds an MA in theological studies from the International School of Theology and an M.A. in Science and Religion, and a Ph.D. in Practical Theology from Boston University. They're founding members of the Mamelodi Initiative in Township of Mamelodi, South Africa, a project that connects Harvard students with at-risk youth in a mentoring and educational program to prepare them for college. Pat and Tammy, certified instructors for Interpersonal Communication Programs, Inc., have been married for more than three decades and are parents to four grown children. In authoring their book, Hit Hard, they share their journey into the world of ambiguous loss that began after their son suffered a traumatic brain injury playing football. Zach's story received media coverage by ABC, NBC, CBS, and NPR, and recently they started COVID-19 conversations on their website hoping to help others be resilient in ambiguous loss. Please enjoy this conversation. It was quite a privilege and an honor to have them join me on the Connected Family Podcast. As always, feel free to give a rating and like and share this episode if you find it helpful. Here now, my interview with authors Pat and Tammy McLeod. Welcome to the Connected Family Podcast. I am so delighted to be able to have uh, several authors here with me today, Pat and Tammy McLeod, who wrote the book Hit Hard, and it's a book that describes their experience with ambiguous loss. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Welcome. Thanks Great for having us, Mark. It's, it's a real pleasure, and I, I um, guess I tell you, as I'm reading the book, um, I'm, I'm deeply impacted by it. There's a number of times where I've been reading it, and I find myself sitting on my couch crying overcome Mm -hmm. with the story and the emotion I have I haven't told you this I have uh four kids three boys and a girl um which is in the opposite Mm -hmm. direction of yours I think you have an Mm -hmm. oldest daughter and then three boys after that correct Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so my daughter is the youngest but it certainly connects for me um Mm -hmm. and your family makeup as well maybe you'll we'll start by having you guys introduce yourselves to the listeners my name again is Tammy McLeod, and I'm a Harvard chaplain for Crew, and also work as the director of college ministry at Park Street Church. So we've worked now for 36 years with undergraduates. So we love college students. Yeah, I'm, I'm Pat McLeod, and um, yeah, I also work alongside of Tammy as a chaplain at Harvard, and uh, we've lived in Boston for 20 years. But I'm from uh, the great state of Montana and Wyoming and grew up on the, the Eastern slope of the Rocky mountains. And so this has been quite a, an adjustment, but it feels ever since our son Zach was hurt, it feels 
more and more like, like home for us. So wow, yeah, that is a big change. The the west to the east coast for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so you guys wrote um, this book and. It's all based on your story. And so we talked about you guys sharing the story um, in order to provide the context related to ambiguous loss that we're talking about today. So um, would love for you to share that story with us now. Sure. I, so it began on a uh, September night in 2008. Uh, Tammy and I were at the first large group meeting of the year for the ministry that we lead in the city of Boston. You can picture an auditorium that's filled with a couple hundred happy, smiling, laughing students just at the end of a almost like a rock concert. Everyone's just milling around. And all of a sudden, uh, someone comes up, a Harvard student comes up behind me and interrupts a conversation I'm in and says, uh, your son's been trying to reach you. So we have four children. Um, our oldest daughter had actually just gone to college two weeks prior to this. Our second child, Zach, was at a football scrimmage. Our third son, Nate, was home alone and uh, doing homework, and our fourth son, Soren, was actually with us at the, at the event. And um, so I take the phone, and it's Nate, and he's livid. He's like, Dad, why aren't you answering your phone? Our, by the way, our, our phones had been tucked away in our backpack, and so we weren't taking calls. He said, Zach's been hurt. And he went on to explain that, you know, coaches or parents started calling a while ago, then coaches were calling, and now the hospital is calling. They say he's being airlifted to a hospital and that he's going to have to undergo a, an emergency brain surgery, and they need you there to get your permission. So within a few minutes, Tammy and I were, were flying down um, Massachusetts Avenue to get to a hospital we had never been to before. And when we got there, we met with the doctor who said, your son has suffered a, uh, a traumatic brain injury and we are going to need to open up his skull cap and, and evacuate some blood as well as cauterize some blood vessels. And um, this could result in death. And, um, but, you know, he could have a full recovery or anything in between. And, sign here which we did and we kissed our son goodbye and they wheeled him away and five hours later the nurse came and got us she took us to meet the doctor and he said well we did what we could do um now we just have to wait and see and um so uh zach did survive uh our marriage has survived our family has survived our faith has survived uh, but everything changed because a portion of zach's brain did not survive. Do you want to add to no, where, where it went from there? You should just talk about like how it affected our, began to affect our marriage and family. So the marriage part was very hard because we started to look at the loss in different ways mm -hmm. and we didn't understand what type of loss we were dealing with and so we started to get into conflict and so that torqued our marriage put a lot of pressure on it and our kids had a rough time i remember early on my daughter said you think it's bad to lose a son i lost a best friend and it started to help me see the depth of the pain that the kids were actually dealing with too. 
And our youngest son had been really close with Zachary. And in a moment, he lost the person that was like a dad slash brother to him. He slept with him a lot in a single bed. Uh, When he would get afraid, he'd go jump in with him. And so that really close relationship, Zach would carry Soren around from the moment of his birth until this accident. So it really changed his relationship um, with Zach also. So it was very hard on our children. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Mark. If you want me to keep going, I can. I didn't know if you wanted to ask a more specific Uh, um, Well, I was going to dive into, you know, we've talked about sort of the impact on your marriage and the impact Mm -hmm. on your children. And Mm -hmm. so Tammy kind of went into, and so I thought we could go down that road related to the impact on your children and how you all navigated their loss in the midst of your own loss. So you were realizing, Tammy, like, man, this is not only impacting me, this is really impacting the children. How do you guys navigate? that loss with them? I would say, you know, for Tammy and I, the um, very early on, by the way, someone recommended that we start going to see a counselor. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd already made the decision that we would try not to talk about, um, you know, heavy issues after nine o'clock because we just Mm -hmm. didn't trust ourselves. We're too emotionally thin to deal with that. And, but the, uh, because we were, you know, getting into this rhythm of, of meeting with a family counselor. Um, if we found ourselves either, you know, wanting to talk about something after nine or, or even in the middle of the day, we're like, let's just save that for the counseling office, which created a safe place for us to fight fair, if you, if you will, you know, to, to, to process the stuff going on. And, and it did become pretty clear early on that we were, having two very different reactions to this, to Zach. Um, it, it became clear after a year that he was not going to have a full recovery. And you, you should talk about the, the books you began to read about grief and how they. Yeah, I started at the one year mark to read grief books since I knew he wasn't going to have a strong recovery mm-hmm. and they were not helping at all. Wow. So my person did not die. Yeah. Uh, Zach was still alive. He was just different. And so I remember being in grad school and wanting to write about this. Like, why am I having problems reading grief books? Why am I getting no help from them? And I asked all my friends and colleagues, do you have any term for our type of loss? Have you ever read any books about it? And no one had any. (laughs) So I finally called the hospital, uh, rehab hospital where Zach stayed and asked the librarian, I want to research this term. I need some help. What is it? So the next day he wrote back the term for your type of loss is ambiguous loss. And here is a researcher that has done decades of study on this. And I read the links that he sent me. It was um, Pauline Boss. Mm -hmm. And I ordered her books immediately and I devoured them. And I thought, finally, someone understands what I'm going through. And she talks about how there's no linear process of letting go and rarely is there acceptance and there's never closure. 
I'll never forget when I read that phrase, I just thought, yes, this doesn't end. It goes on and on. And then she talked about how there's also no validation. There are no ceremonies when something happens like happened to our son. And she talked about the importance of doing ceremonies or having rituals. You should talk about how she defines ambiguous loss. I think that would be helpful. Yeah, she uh, defines it two types. Um, first is physical absence and psychological presence. So that would be like people missing due to war, terrorism, natural disasters, kidnappings, incarceration, divorce, adoption, immigration. And on the other hand, what we were dealing with was psychological absence mm -hmm. with physical presence. So that would be like Alzheimer's disease, other dementias, traumatic brain injury, chronic mental illness, or addictions. And so the way she broke that out for me was really helpful. And she talked about the thing that you need to be resilient in ambiguous loss is you need to be able to deal with having and not having the person the way they once were. Can I add to that? Yeah. Because I think that really sets up the storyline of our book, which is, you know, she said, if, that, if the key to dealing with ambiguous loss is learning to live well with both having and not having, that's really difficult because people usually do just one or the other or sometimes neither. And it's even more complicated when a marriage or, or when two people, let's just say, are grieving the same ambiguous loss or dealing with the same ambiguous loss. And one is doing one, the other is doing the other. In other words, one's sort of doting over the son he still has and, yeah. uh, you know, obsessing over him. But in complete denial about the son that he lost and and the other is treating the son like he died in some mm -hmm. one sense because she's recognizing there's been a real significant loss of the zach we once had yeah but failing to revise her attachment to the son that she still has and that's really our story it mm -hmm. it torques relationships like boss says that you know this kind of ambiguity really torques relationships because you live with un resolve you get frozen in unresolved grief hmm. how did you guys so you're describing your different ways of approaching that ambiguous loss hmm. your marriage survived um is surviving mm -hmm. how did we how did you come to realize oh we're doing this differently <laughs> <laughs> and we have to figure out how to do it together did you come to a point of that I think the biggest turning point for me on this, I'll speak for myself, was we were at a dinner party with friends and I was grieving and talking about all the things I lost. And then Pat started talking about how great Zach is and how fun he is. <laughs> I was getting so angry. Everyone was going along with him and just loving his stories. And when we got to the car, he was ticked and so was I. <laughs> so we just had this big discussion in the car before we ever turned it on. Mm. And I said, why are you having such a hard time dealing with the loss and just admitting that what we lost is mm. uh, painful. so painful? And he said, why can't you acknowledge that Zach is still here? So we went back and forth in the car and, I even talked about some spiritual things like 
you're looking at me as less spiritual because I'm grieving. And he said, well, why um, can't you see the good things coming out of this? And I said, I have pages and pages in my journal about the good things coming out of this. I do actually see them, but I'm also grieving. Yeah. He is here, yes, but he's also not here. Yeah. And so then I think you guys have mentioned sort of the revising of the attachment to the person that you've lost. So is that kind of each of you have had to go through that process in order to sort of accept the other person's way of doing it? Or how does that work? Yes, for me, I was the one who was grieving more and acknowledging the loss. So I had to focus on um, how to what boss calls revise the attachment. So you don't lose the attachment in a situation like we have, it's mm -hmm. still there, but because Zach is different, I can't relate to him in the same way anymore. Yeah. So we used to mm -hmm. read scripture together, pray together, uh, lead worship songs together. And so now, his left hand still works and he has his long-term memory so he can still play the chords wow. and his right hand doesn't work. So now we play the guitar together. I reach over and play with my right hand. Wow. He plays left hand. Um, when we pray, I'm the one talking most since he really can't talk much anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's him listening and just agreeing along with me as I pray and reading scripture. He can't really read much because he can't speak well. And so I'm reading and he's just listening. Mm. So it's just shifting what we do with each other. Yeah, yeah. My, mine, Mark, was different. It wasn't, I wouldn't say the revising of attachments was the issue that I needed to address because to be honest with you, uh, Zach and I, you know, there was even a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, like when he was young, I remember he was about, you know, I don't know, five years old. And um, I was reading to him at night in bed, laying in bed, and he had his head, you know, a, a next to my face because mm -hmm. he's looking at the words while I'm reading it. And I, I said to him, I, I'm like, Zach, can you promise me something? And he says, what, Dad? And I said, can you promise that you'll never grow up? And he laughed and, and I hugged him. And it's like, today, Zach, is still that guy you know like he will be sitting at church or even driving down the road and he'll take his head and he'll put it against me and mm -hmm. just snuggle up next to me and there's just this connection that is so satisfying and life-giving to me that i cherish you know and so the ways zach and i communicated love have been unfazed in many ways by his injury i mean i do miss the conversations and i miss um you know, I, I miss just the, the ways that uh, he, you know, the man that he was, there's, I do, I would love to have seen the father that he, he, he could have been, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so my, my issue was more acknowledging the real loss and beginning to grieve and being okay with letting when watching my children grieve and, mm -hmm. and creating space that was safe for them to see that, you know, but, but that was just, that was not something I was ever raised to do. In fact, I was not only never taught how to grieve, but I was explicitly taught not to grieve, you know, to show no visible sign of weakness, to 
to be tough and uh, and and uh, you know to stay positive, focus on the positive. And so this was part of the, I think, athletic culture that I was in, and and um, I really felt like that was the definition of what a man is supposed to be. So I've been on this journey of learning to you know to grieve. Yeah. As you were as you were speaking, I w- I'm I'm thinking of connections that that are relevant i think even outside of like the specificity of your story so people who have experienced traumatic brain injury and their children there's there's connections about ambiguous loss for all sorts of parents who are losing or have lost their children in different ways i work Mm -hmm. a lot with people with parents who have um, adopted children from foreign countries or have children have adopted children from DCFS it's called in in our state um, protective services and often parents that I'm working with have images of what they expect their child to be like when they're an adult yeah when they adopt their child or even their natural born child they have images and as they become teenagers they begin to realize Oh, this this child is not gonna be what I the dreams that I had, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like that's a similar, I guess, a small connection in a way to your guys' story of having to grieve like those those expectations you had for him, and now mm-hmm. different. Um, what would you say to those parents? I know in a different story or a different experience, mm-hmm. but maybe connected slightly, like as they're grieving those. Mm-hmm dreams they had for their kids what what's most helpful for them do you think you know if i can before i even answer that question add to it a couple of other examples that i think addiction Mm -hmm. is another thing that happens in a lot of families when they um, and have to deal with that that's a huge ambiguous loss Mm -hmm. um just the empty nest just the fact that you lose a child that's still your child but is no longer there with you. That's actually a heavy thing for a man. Apparently, according to boss, that's felt more strongly by men than it is women in part, because in our society, at least at this point, women have been primary caregivers and they're kind of ready to go have a life of their own. Whereas the man, you know, is kind of like, gosh, I, I have these kids and I don't know them and they don't know me and I, and they're gone and I've missed my opportunity to really be the father I wanted to be. And so there's all kinds of, ways that ambiguous loss affects us as parents but i um so what would you are you do you have a thought in answer to this question the first thing that came to my mind is most marriages don't make it through ambiguous loss Mm -hmm. so i really hope that we can bring hope that Mm -hmm. you actually can make it through Mm -hmm. these um ambiguous losses that you face in your life and so i hope that's the biggest message that would come through is to stay together and in our book since you've read that we were going two different directions is to just give the person space Mm -hmm. to not process the loss the same way Mm -hmm. that you do because they might not So one person could be actually processing it, but be really quiet about it. Mm -hmm. And they might be doing it internally and not with people. And one might want to be more 
uh, vocal and in conversation with others, but just really respecting the other person's processing of that loss and giving space. Like I'll just um, talk about the time that Pat gave me freedom to just share my litany of losses. Mm -hmm. And maybe one spouse might need to do this one night. Usually I would say what I'm struggling with and he would try to fix me. And then I just get ticked off. Yeah. <laughs> off. But one night he applied this listening skill that we teach uh, students and couples. It's called inviting. Okay. Where a person talks and then they come to a place in their talking where they pause you just say tell me more or is there anything else or keep going and pat did that so mm -hmm. he let me just say 20 minutes of losses that i was grieving and he didn't say one word and he didn't try to fix me wow. um so that was just a particular example of something that was really meaningful for me. And even though he was less on the grieving side, he made space for me yes. to grieve. I, I have one other, Mark, that mm -hmm. in answer to your question that I think this comes from boss as well, but she calls, she calls them, she talks about growing your resilience in ambiguous loss by tempering your mastery or adjusting mastery. Tammy could probably talk more about this than I could, but it's the idea there is that we do live in a society that's very uh, driven by this idea that you can't, we can fix this. You know, we can make the, we can, if we do parenting right, we're going to produce, you know, a perfect kid, you know, and, um, and that's just not, possible we there are things that are beyond our control and so adjusting our sense of mastery and just saying yeah you know this was not the, the way we thought life was going to go we didn't think Zach would be brain injured you know or mm -hmm. we didn't think our kids would make this, the choices that they made that have taken them into the world of addiction or whatever um so do you want to add to that that was good okay yeah he's I mean, the expert on that yeah. <laughs> well that idea is just huge of like I'm going to do my best, but really the outcomes I have to let go of in some ways in order to, because otherwise if, if it has to be perfect, I'm really, I can't do that. And it's a, a task that I will never complete and just drive myself exhausted mm -hmm. and hurt myself moving forward in that. Mm -hmm. um, you've also touched on sort of the way this impacted your children. And we touched a little bit on that. What's, if, if there are other people out there experiencing ambiguous loss in any of the different ways that we've, you know, described as those experiences who have other children as well, what are the big things that you would want them to hear about mm. navigating that with their other children? Mm. I think, I mean, one thing I would say about in answer to that question is that, um, you know, I, we, I feel like we wrote the book of uh, the book that we wish we had, you know, mm -hmm. earlier. We, we, um, and, um, a book that can name the kind of loss we're dealing with, mm. a book that can give us some hope and can give us a story to live into. You know, I think one of the themes of our own story is that 
that our own experiences of loss in, in life, in our tragedies of loss, uh, sometimes tragic losses, like, like in our case, um, they beg for a bigger story that can help us make sense of them. Um, I, I've been, I'm a fan of David Brooks. He's a writer and a, you know, a, a really thoughtful person. He talks about how there's, there's no suffering that uh, we can't endure that can be taken up in a narrative of redemption. And um, this to me is, I mean, certainly our story has a, an important faith element to it. And, you know, we feel like Zach's life is, um, you know, an illustration of the, of the ability of his faith and the story that, uh, of redemption that is there carrying him through and has definitely carried us through and sustained us. It's given us hope in the midst of, of our loss. And then for me, I think about bosses talking about ceremonies. Mm. I think the ceremony that we did was really helpful for our kids. So each of them participated. We decided to do a ceremony of loss and a celebration of life since we have those both to deal with back to back so we went from one to the other and okay. zach was not at the ceremony of loss but he was at the party so at that first ceremony of loss our kids each wrote what they missed about zach mm -hmm. so i got up to share what i missed about him but each child got up to say it and i think it was really meaningful to them and meaningful to us to be able to hear it. Yeah. But even before the ceremony started, when Nate was looking through the slideshow that Pat made and set to the song that I wrote for Zach, he looked at this picture of Zach really close to him face to face and he just lost it. And he ran to his room and started crying. And then I just laid on his bed beside him, holding him. He said, I'm so sorry, mom. I didn't realize how hard this was for you. And I said, no, I'm sorry, Nate, because you not only lost a brother, but you lost a mother for a while because I was caught up in all of the loss with Zach. And so just the bonding moments, the mm -hmm. connecting moments, that that ceremony mm. brought, I think was really helpful yeah. to all of us processing the loss. I was struck by, you know, you said you lost a mother for a while mm. and how that ceremony allowed you or gave you the opportunity to acknowledge that with mm. your child. And had you not had the opportunity to acknowledge that, how different it might the experience might have been your acknowledgement of have him having lost you must have been really powerful for him can i add one thing mark because yeah. I, I noticed um that you've you have a certain expertise in creating uh, uh space including i think using art or something but i don't know if this is related to the way that you uh, do therapy but Boss certainly recommends the power of the arts to actually help you uh, deal with loss. And um, that ceremony that Tammy told you about, I created that iMovie. And, and so it's in a, in a way, it's, it was a creation 
of art, combining music with just pictures and videos. And um, that to me became such a powerful way for me to grieve. I, I spent weeks doing that. I probably spent most of the summer off and on just sorting through all of our pictures and yeah. finding Zach's best songs, the ones he loved and putting the right pictures to the right songs and then looking at it. And that was, it was actually Nate looking at that video that triggered that um, him leaving the room crying, you know, yeah. because, you know, um, art just has a way of just getting to our heart, you know, and exposing these, hard emotions and softening them. And uh, that's what happened for me. And I think that's what happened at that ceremony too. Yeah. What strikes me about that as connected to the work that I do is we, I work often with people who've experienced trauma. And one of the things, one of the treatment modalities is uh, we develop a trauma narrative and mm. that you sort of developed a story, I think, um, in an artistic way with images mm -hmm. and music and as you were developing that story and as your son was watching that story unfold it helped you to access yes. the pain exactly and, and we would call it process the pain um, mm -hmm. maybe even as you view that story and process and work through it and create it you're creating the story the larger story that you talked about yep um, in which faith is a really big important part mm. Right. Well said. I just really, I'm, I'm really thankful um, to have had the opportunity after reading your book and then to meet you guys and um, hear directly from your mouths the, the story mm. and the things that you would say to people who are experiencing similar things. Mm. Um, how could people connect with you? Um, you know, I'm sure I imagine there's online um, things and ways people connect. What would that be for them to find you? Yes, I think the best way is our website. So Pat and Tammy McLeod, M-C-L-E-O-D.com. And on there, I have articles about ambiguous loss and all of our interviews are on there. And we wrote for the pandemic something called COVID conversations mm. because the whole dealing of the pandemic is an ambiguous loss, lots of ambiguous loss. So we have specific things that might help people in that section. Oh, great. Thank you so much. I had that. Absolutely. Um, having lost so many things in that way and trying now, I think moving towards trying to come out of it, but navigating that is needed. So. Any final statements? Yeah, I have one final thought yeah. <laughs> to, to endorse uh, the work you're doing. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier on. Um, Tammy and I went to counseling probably within weeks of Zach's injury. And um, not only did it, like I said earlier, create this safe place for us to process our grief, but I cannot remember any time walking out of there not feeling like I, I had learned something. I, I always, lights just went on in that space for me. And so I, I do think that people like you who have an expertise on, on just the emotional and relational dynamics of our lives and can, can make that space 
uh, you know, create a safe space for people to deal with and process that is, um, is great. And so, yeah, I appreciate what you do. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you having us too. Thank yes, you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's quite an honor. And I, I thank you so much for the, the book that you wrote and for being here today. Thank you for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. We are dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about ambiguous loss, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources, discussion regarding episode topics, and support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling or our website at connectionsquincy.com.